0: Hello, you heroes and champions, crows, pirates, and inquisitors. Welcome to the Dragon Age Lorecast. I'm Shelby. And I'm Austin. And we are so excited to bring you this podcast. Every episode, we'll be talking about a different topic in the Dragon Age universe. From the Maker to Lyrium to Aravels, we will cover it all. There will be spoilers. And always remember, swooping is bad. Hey, Shelby. Hi, Austin.
1: How's it going?
0: Um, it's going great.
1: You ready to talk about some Dragon age?
0: I'm so ready to talk about our country today.
1: Well, oh, what do we got for us?
0: Um, today, we're talking about Navarra.
1: Oh, fun!
0: I really want to go to Navarra. like really badly want to go to Navarra. really yeah i just think they're so different like their culture is so different it's such a fun and interesting mix between tevinter and Orle. um and of course it you know spawned my favorite person in the dragon age series
1: cassandra That's true. so i just feel yeah, like
0: i, I really want to go there
1: i just feel like you would hate all the emphasis on death
0: no, it's so goth. Are you kidding me?
1: Okay. I thought your goth phase was over.
0: <laughs> okay. You can stop calling me out.
1: <laughs> it was never a phase.
0: It was real mom. <laughs> <laughs>
1: your mom would say it's, it's, it's a, a phase. phase.
0: She did multiple times when I was a teenager. And she'd probably <laughs> say she was right. Okay. Okay. Moving on, please.
1: Anyway. Oh, my God. I just completely chuckled myself because I read in the show notes you have first thing that is fun facts. And I was just like, all right, you ready for some fast facts, Shelby?
0: This is not the Office Ladies Mm. podcast. So, Mm. no, we're not doing fast facts.
1: All right. So for some fun facts. You want to get this started? Yeah.
0: I would love to get us started on the fun facts. Um, fun facts about Navarra. It is a monarchy, pretty strict monarchy, not quite like an empire or whatever like uh, Orlay is, but still a monarchy with a heavy emphasis on like dynasties or dynasties, as some people might say. Um, it's currently ruled uh, by the Pentagast line, and yes, that is the same Pentagast as in Cassandra Pentagast. Mm hmm. Navarra City is the capital. And its location, um, it's located west of the Free Marches, which is where we've been the past two weeks. It is south of Taventer and like northeast ish of Orlais. So it's right in central Thetis.
1: Wow. Yeah, I guess now I'm thinking about it because you know I'm playing through Dragon Age Inquisition right now, so I'm thinking about the yeah. importance of like what are the where are the war table operations and it's on like, it's in the middle of the map, but it's on the Orle side of the middle of the map. It's like support yeah, but it's like from, north
0: of the map too.
1: Right, it's like support from Navara.
0: Yeah, that's true. Um, and then my last little, I don't know if this is a fun fact, but. Just a little bit more about Navarra before we get into ancient history. Uh, they have massive wealth. They're very rich, generally, as a nation. Uh, and they have distinct culture and burial practices compared to the rest of Thetis. They're the only country that uh, buries their dead instead of like burning their dead. Um, and this is uh, probably coming from the culture around mages that's different from the rest of Thetis as well, which we'll get into later in the episode. Um, And historically, Novara has been affiliated with the other Free March city-states. It was part of the Free Marches as its own city-state until relatively recently, like maybe the past three or four ages um, is when it finally gained its own independence and became like a real nation in its own right. So it is probably one of our newest countries that we're going to look
1: at. Yeah. It's so funny to me that they're like, they've got these like very distinct burial practices. They're super wealthy and they have a very strict monarchy with all this nobility and everything like that. And then you, the main like. Neverine Navarin, the Neverine Navar Neverine is something from the Elder Scrolls. Um. the The main Navarin we meet is Cassandra, who's like, yeah, I hate all that.
0: Literally, she hates all of it. Right? Yeah,
1: I love it. I love it. I love her. All right. So some ancient history.
0: Sure. Um, so ancient history, the land that makes up modern day Navarra was originally settled by the Planocene tribe, which makes total sense because I told y'all in our free march episodes, the free marches were settled by the Planacenes and Navarra used to be part of the free marches. So it makes sense that this tribe would like have settled Navarra as well. Um, but they became part of the Taventer Imperium pretty quickly, and their earliest known ruler was King Damertes, or Damertes, who was a friend of the Taventer Archon at the time, Archon Thalsian. And we've talked about Thalsian before, I think maybe in one of our Elven episodes. Um, So there have been people who have been living and working... Um, in Navarra for years and years and years and years, ages even before the divine age into the ancient age. However, the country has not been its own country under the banner of Navarra until recently. So it has a long history, but not as its own organized geopolitical state, if that makes sense. Right. So that's a little bit about the super ancient stuff. Let's move forward a bit into the time of Mafrath and Andraste like we feel like we always do. Um, but about minus 180 ancient, Andraste and Mafrath are fighting their war with Taventer. And like we talked about the past couple weeks, they first move into the free marches, which makes sense coming from Freldon. So after they kind of move into the free marches, they start heading over toward Tevinter. And the next place in that line is Navarra. So they're making their way towards Tevinter. Um, And they go right through, right through Navarra. And they meet someone called the Lord of Navarra, whose name was Hector. He was one of Andraste's most loyal followers and helped them... As they made their way through Navarra. Question. Um,
1: uh Uh-huh. Is Hector one of the ghosts we meet in Origins, in the Temple of Sacred Ashes?
0: No, Hector is not one of them. Okay, so no, Hector is not one of the ones that we meet in Origins, unfortunately. But he does help them a lot in their war. So, after the war, after Andraste's death, as we know, Mafrath splits up the lands between his three sons, and I did double check that it is three sons um three sons, and then, um of course, they give the dales to the elves, so we've talked a little bit about this part in our Orle episode, just because of how the story goes, but just a reminder, Navara was given to Mafrath's younger son, Verald. And actually, this is a little bit of a correction from our previous episode. We said that Verald was Mafrath and Andraste's son. Verald is actually just Mafrath's son. Um, mm. So, yeah, that's a little bit of a correction. But anyway, so Verald.
1: But the other ones, Isarath and the middle one, are Andraste's children.
0: Yes, Isarath and Evryon are both of their children. Mm-hmm. Um, so, after Andraste dies, the land of Novara is given to Verald, And um, he really barely holds on to the land, even in just that ten-year span. Uh, and he really only ruled for as long as he did because of his family name. And so when Mafrath's betrayal became public knowledge... He was just straight up forced out of the city and his entire court was murdered, was killed. Um, so he did not have a good time. <laughs> but after this happens, he goes to Orlais and he's looking for his brother Iserath's protection. But as we've discussed in our Orlais episode, the two brothers were manipulated by DeShavis and she ultimately became the ruler of Orlais. So both of them die um, and as we know from last week's episode, or the past two weeks' episodes, Evryon renounces his lineage. So the lineage, the line of Andraste and Mafferath, it ends because of Mafrath's treachery. Mm-hmm. And I just think that that's really interesting. I'm trying not to say the word interesting, but... I don't know. Um I don't want to say it's payback, but it's almost like karma. Mm-hmm. You know, like Mafrath kills his wife, murders his wife or allows him, her he allows her to be murdered and so what else does he care about? Power and his sons. And well, he loses both of those things. Right. He loses his power, he loses his land in Ferelden. And all of his sons are murdered or renounce him.
1: Well, it's so it's this self-fulfilling prophecy almost thing because he betrays Andraste because he's jealous of her because the people love her and he wants this power and everything. And so he betrays her. But it is that betrayal that really ultimately ends up him losing everything.
0: That's so true. That's so true. Well, let's move on a little bit back to Navarra. So after Verald flees to Orlais, the rulers of Navarra change so frequently that uh, Navarra was really struggling compared to the other Free March city-states. Um, and this, like, upheaval in rulers really goes on for a long time, like several, two ages at least. Um... And so it wasn't until Caspar Pentegast deposed King Ionis in the second age in 246 glory. Um, so he does that and takes the throne for himself. So it wasn't until Caspar uh, Pentegast takes the throne for himself that Navarra came under consistent leadership. Not even necessarily like great leadership or good leadership, just consistent Leadership, not an upheaval every, you know, 5, 10, 15 years. So, this is the first Pentagast that sits on the throne. And so, under Caspar Pentagast's leadership, Novara's fortune totally turns around. Um, they, you know, become consistent, they expand, they grow their population, they grow their wealth, all kinds of stuff. And unfortunately... In the next age, the third blight happens, and it really devastates the majority of central Thedas. But even after the victory against the blight, the army of Orlais continued to occupy Navarra. And they did this for like 10-ish years or so. Uh, and Navarra regained their independence in 365 Towers Age. So even though there is this consistent leadership, it's still kind of an upheaval because of the blight, because of Orlais, because of all this other stuff. So, two ages later in the Exalted Age, in 537, the Navaran general, Tylus van Markham, claimed descent from Emperor Draken I and really like rallied the people to overthrow the pentagasts and so ultimately he was able to claim the throne for himself and he was able to do this because he was a hero of the fourth blight the people loved him he really stirred like nationalistic feelings against orlay um and So then he started his own dynasty, his own dynasty, the Van Markham dynasty. So now we have two very powerful families that have created political dynasties for themselves. We have the Pentagasts that are the significantly older family and the Van Markhams who are a significantly younger family, but still influential. So we've got two. And this really, like, defines Navarran politics for the next several ages. They're going to be fighting. There's going to be a lot of conflict between the two. Um, And so this is a big deal. They are, like, the two reigning powers in Navarra. But in the Steel Age, the last Van Markham king dies. And he doesn't have any sons. So, their lineage is in question. Right. So, what do you think happens next?
1: There's a marriage. Yes, exactly.
0: So, um, the last, that, that king marries his daughter to a pentagast. And the two families merge into one family. And this really solidifies... Navarra's status as a significant power in thetis because they're no longer in fighting they're no longer fighting with each other they're able to solidify their power come together as one nation and look outwards instead of inwards Mm
1: -hmm. i mean it'd be Um, like it'd be like a windsor marrying a Tudor to bring both families together of like the two main families in recent history who have ruled england
0: i mean sure but those are different time periods but yeah it yes similar so ever since then um they have ruled they have ruled navara under the pentagast name do
1: you have any thoughts yeah pretty you know i feel like this is the most like what we think of when we think of medieval governance like this story is like the stereotype okay there's a royal family uh they have a line in question okay well let's marry this other really prominent royal family and then our claim to the throne will be super strong
0: Mm -hmm. i agree with that it also gives me big like romeo and juliet vibes
1: Like, was it an arranged marriage, or did this woman, or did this man and woman, like, actually love each other?
0: Unclear. I don't know. Well, do you want to move into the modern history a little bit? Sure. Okay, so probably one of the most uh, controversial, significant events in modern Navarrean history comes in the Storm Age in 782. So Emperor Etienne Valmont of Orlais um, had basically divorced his empress who was unable to give him a child. They'd been married for 17 years. Um, and so he does this so that he can wed Princess Soteria Pentegast. Um And he does this in the hope that They can create a lasting peace and cooperation between the two nations. But um, 15 years later, by 797 storm, Soteria had not given him a son or daughter either. And so what do you think the emperor does? Well, (laughs) the emperor sends her away too. Um, And he sends her to a cloister and then he marries his mistress Marquise Yvette. The Navarins did not react well to this, as you can imagine. Um, So,
1: we we were just talking about the Tudors and. I know, I know, I know. That's why I was laughing.
0: That's why I was laughing when you started to say that because I was like, well, that's a little bit of foreshadowing. Um, (laughs) But anyway. (laughs) So the Navarans are pissed, like they're angry. Um and they send letters, they send angry people. They send they pull out all the stops and all of that gets ignored. So they then send a war party of Pentagasts, which is just like the most BDE thing ever. Um which I I love that. I want to be part of this family. I want to I want to be part of a war party. <laughs> um to avenge my cousin's honor. I don't know. Anyway, so the war party of Pentagasts ride into Orlais and literally take her back. They take back the princess. Um, and they didn't take any further military action for almost 50 years. Um, it wasn't until 846 Blessed Age. And it's at this point when the Orlesian army is engaged in war with Ferelden. So they then get their revenge because the Orlesian army is preoccupied elsewhere. Um, so they declared war and promptly took several cities in Orlais. And the Orlesians did eventually manage to rally a defense and drive the Navarans out of a couple cities. But Perindale, at least was lost to Orlais forever and never recovered, and it's now a part of Navarra, and it remains part of Navarra to this day, so that's kind of the lasting, like, biggest kind of shake-up in Navarran history in modern, at least in modern history, um, which, to be fair, I would take that poorly as well, like, this guy has a pattern now of setting aside wives, and, like, we know we know it was probably his fault that that they couldn't have children, not not the women's. Um, who knows if they know that in the land of Dragon Age. But yeah, if I was part of the Pentagast family, I would be pissed off too. So let's move on. I have a couple um, more little fun facts about modern Navarran history. So in 860, Blessed... Aurelian Pentagast attempted to assume the throne but it was revealed that he was not a Pentagast by blood. He was in fact Princess Soteria from our last story. He was her stepson from her second marriage to an Orlesian noble Um, and so instead of continuing to fight for the throne he goes and joins the dwarven legion of the dead and he is the only human to have ever joined the legion of the dead. That's cool. I know. I thought it was cool, too. Um, just a little fun fact.
1: So. Here's a fun fact. So. Uh-huh. Sir Ruth in Dragon Age Inquisition. She's a warden. Mm-hmm. You know who I'm talking about.
0: I do know who you're talking about. Yeah.
1: Okay. So after the events with the Grey Wardens, you can decide her fate and you can send her to the Deep Roads. Well, she goes and she just ends up hanging out with the Legion of the Dead.
0: Oh, interesting.
1: So, I don't know. It's kind of, if you do her um, operation. And so, it's kind of left, I don't know, she might be the second human to join the Legion of the Dead. She may be. That's interesting. Which, I know the Legion of the Dead and the Grey Wardens, like... Well, it's sometimes unclear because, so, the Legion of the Dead that you meet in Origins, they're like, why do we need your Grey Wardens? We've been doing your job for a lot longer than you, and we do it more often than you do. So there's kind of like this competition, but, like, I felt like the Legion of the Dead and Inquisition, there was, like, this mutual, like, respect between the Grey Wardens and the Legion of the Dead.
0: Yeah, no, I I think that's true in all of the games. Okay. Okay, so let's move on a little bit. I just want, I have one more last history thing. Um, And this is about the current ruler of Navarra. And the current ruler is Marcus Pentagast. He is super old, and he's in really weak health, and is not sure if he's all there mentally. So because of this, his leadership has been condemned by a lot of people, a lot of Navarans, because they claim that his advisors, who are Mortalitasi mages, we'll get into that in a minute, they claim that, they're, that his advisors are ruling through him, which is exactly what happened with King Ionis who was defeated by the first Pentagast. So because of this, all of the relatives are fighting for who's gonna claim the throne. Um, Some say it's time for this family or the two families to cede their power to a new family um, but officially, Ferdinand Pentegast, who's the younger brother to Marcus, is the next in line to rule. However, he's also very old. Not as old as Marcus, but still pretty old. And he isn't really interested in the throne. Neither of the two brothers have any interest in ruling or... Well, neither... Let me hold on. Neither of the two brothers have any known children. So, the future of the Pentagast dynasty really does hang in the balance right now.
1: Right. So, just a little refresher for me. Cassandra is, like, 52nd in line for the Navaran throne.
0: I thought it was closer than that.
1: Maybe. It's it's some, like, ridiculous number, though. Um, is Is it ferdinand the uncle that she lives with i have no idea oh well i know that the re- she doesn't live with her parents because her parents got on the wrong side of her of king marcus and yes. like they were either executed or exiled or something along that line yes um but her m- uncle is a more more Can you say it for me Mortala Tassi yeah. yeah there you
0: go You were right Cassandra is 78th In line to the throne Okay yeah Yeah. So I don't know yeah, so, it, It's complicated
1: Right which You know maybe it's like a more distant Like it's possible there are multiple Ferdinands in the Pentecost family Uh, yes Um, I agree um, and so it would make sense that this Ferdinand is different which would make more sense because to be 78th in line with the throne you've got to be like the current king's like great 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 cousin
0: Yeah. yeah and part of it part of the confusion is that we don't know like we don't know the whole family tree like we don't have that information Um, we know uh, just a handful um, of the relatives we know Cassandra's brother is named Anthony we know her mom and dad I think are Matthias and Tigana Pentegast Um, we know a couple of uncles and aunts but I mean other than that like we just don't know we just don't know everything so that makes it hard
1: Well, let's take a break before we dive into the culture of, and let's go, let's do that. And then we'll come back to the middle and finish out and we'll get going. Awesome. All right. So Shelby, we have some exciting news to share with everyone today.
0: Yes, we do.
1: So we are excited to share with you all that we've had a couple people ask about this, but we have launched a Patreon for this podcast. Yes. And with the Patreon, if you are kind enough to join our Patreon and contribute to that, there are some benefits that you can get. And we have several tiers set up. So Shelby, you want to tell us about a tier?
0: Yeah. So our first tier is the Theodosian. So, if you subscribe to this tier, which is $5 per month, you would be an everyday citizen of Thedas when, at least when you aren't trying to evade darkspawn demons or rogue mages and templars. You might find yourself farming, spending time at the spoiled princess or even the hanged man, Or even secretly reading the not-so-bestseller, Swords and Shields. And, of course, listening to our podcast, The Dragon Age Lorecast. So, with this subscription, you will get a thank-you message from Austin and I during the show. And your name will be called out as a new patron on the show as well. You'll also get ad-free episodes and early access to episodes. And you'll also get access to the Tier 1 patron section of the Robots Radio Discord server.
1: Yeah, definitely. And our next tier is called the Antivan Crow, which we just learned about in our Antiven episode. But you are a legendary assassin in the Antivan Crow's Assassin's Guild. You hail from Antiva, where the sun shines bright. The wine flows and the daggers are sharp. When you are not out doing the bidding of your Talon, you can be found enjoying the beauty of Antiva all while listening to the Dragon Age lore cast. And what you get here is you get everything that is in the first tier and you get extra access to an extra episode each month and then access to the tier one and two sections of the Robots Radio Discord.
0: And that one's ten. <coughs> Sorry.
1: That one's ten dollars.
0: <laughs> so our next tier is the first enchanter tier and it's $20 per month and if you subscribe to this tier you may be a renowned mage a first enchanter of one of the circles of magi in Thetis. at least when you're not overseeing harrowings keeping the templars in line or teaching the apprentices you might find yourself reading obscure magical texts such as discovering dragon's blood, potions, tinctures, and spicy sauces. And, of course, listening to the Dragon Age lore cast. And you'll get all previous rewards, plus monthly Ask Me Anything submissions, which we will read out and answer on the show. Plus, you'll get access to tiers 1, 2, and 3 of the Robots Radio Discord.
1: All right, our next here is Divine. Ooh, fancy. You are the most holy, striving to lead all of Thedas in the right path of worshiping Andraste and the Maker. Perhaps you are reforming, a reforming divine, seeking to abolish the circle of Magi and the Templar Order. Or maybe you're a traditionalist who wants to restore the traditional order of Thedas. Regardless of who you are, when you're not bogged down by Mage-Templar Wars, Cunari invasions, or sentient Darkspawn, you can be found listening the dragon age lore cast and you get all benefits of all previous tiers an opportunity to submit a monthly topic and side character suggestion for austin and shelby to read on the show uh and read your name aloud on every show not just the one when you are join the patreon but every single show this one's my favorite oh and it is that tier is also 50 dollars
0: Okay, so this one is the big boy. Um, And this one is the Nug King tier. And this is $100 per month, so you got to be a super fan of us if you want this one. But the Nug King. Few have seen you. Some claim you are a legend, but nevertheless, you are an avid fan of the Dragon Age lore cast. And so what you get at this tier is all previous rewards obviously and you will get a super duper extra special thank you message at the end of every single Dragon Age Lorecast episode and you will get to come on the show with us for a topic of your choosing, it can be anything you name it, and we will talk about it on the show as long as it pertains to Dragon Age. Of Even course. if
1: it's a topic we've other we've already discussed, and you just want to come and share some other top some other thoughts with us.
0: Yes, anything, and that's all the tears. Yes,
1: and if none of that is something that you can do or that you feel led to do, you can always support us by logging into Apple Podcast and leaving us a review and telling us the things that you like about the show. And so let's get back to Dragon Age. Let's do it. All right, Shelby, are you ready to tell us about the culture of Navara?
0: I am. So I think the first and biggest thing is about the Mortalitassi. And that's kind of difficult to say. So if you want to, you can also call them death mages. Um, and so this culture about their mages comes out of their burial practices and their beliefs about the dead. So let's get into that and then I'll tell you what the death mages are. So unlike most other Androsteans and even others in Thetis, Navarans do not burn their dead. Instead, they carefully preserve the bodies and seal them in these extremely elaborate tombs some of the wealthiest navarans start building their tombs when they're still kids even spending decades overseeing their construction these tombs become huge palaces with gardens and bathhouses and ballrooms kept only for the dead the tombs are often decorated with their most prized possessions and each crypt is as unique as the family that's buried there
1: very much very big egyptian vibes
0: yeah that's true it definitely has a lot of similarities to ancient egyptians um so that's kind of what they believe about the dead and i'm going to tell you about like a holiday um and i just want you to tell me after i tell you about this holiday tell me what this reminds you of So every autumn in Navarra City, the city holds an ancestral pageant. Lanterns are lit on the streets that illuminate the statues of ancestors and families drape these statues of their ancestors in colorful cloth and they hire actors to stand beside the statues at night to enact momentous events from their lives the best pageantry takes place on the boulevard leading to the castrum draconis in which the statues of kings and queens are prominent pentagasts and van markham's compete to outdo one another of course in extravagant pageantry rumor holds that the mortalitasi of the grand necropolis Always perform autumn rites at this time.
1: The day of the dead.
0: Yeah, it's it's so day of the dead. Um mm-hmm. you can really see how Bioware took inspiration from that, I think. Which right. I definitely think it makes it it makes sense like in thinking about this. Um but I think it's important to note those similarities.
1: Yes, yes. Um It's definitely very interesting because, you know, Cassandra kind of has, like, it's kind of an Orlesian accent, but it's a much more, like, Spanish-influenced Orlesian accent as opposed to, like, the classic French Orlesian accent. So I think Probably taking influence from Day of the Dead is intentional. There, um, the the things that really connect it to me that are the colorful cloth and the word yes, the word pageantry. Like that is a word that is used in the in cultures like even in other indigenous North American tribes. Like they use like when they're talking about powwows and the, being in regalia, like that's called pageantry.
0: Yeah. yeah well and I think the lanterns like yes. that's also something that's associated with Day of the Dead and like this whole like the actors are enacting like the big events from their lives like that just reminds me of like creating the altar where you bring all of their favorite things to remember them um, but anyway so let's move on a little bit and talk about like what happens when someone dies in Navarran belief so This is a little bit different than what everybody else believes. So, Navarans believe that when a soul of a dead person crosses the Fade, it displaces a Fade spirit. So, in order to provide a safe host for the spirit, they mummify their corpses and place them in elaborate elaborate crypts and this is where the mortalitasi come in because this is what they do. They're responsible for doing that. They're responsible for... Um. So the 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 mortalitasi are the ones that are responsible for like mummifying the corpses, for making sure the soul crosses the fade and displaces the fade spirit. And in night. Nights, in one of the chapters we get we get a chapter about this um about this person who has died they're walking alongside a mage a mortalitasi mage and throughout the chapter it's basically his story of realizing like oh my god i'm dead and the mage is helping him like cross over and they have to fight spirits along the way and all this kind of stuff um so it's a really different view of magic than like everywhere else in Thedas. Um, but real quick, the Mortalitassi were founded by a Tevinter mage actually, and his name was Vitus Fabria or Fabria, and um, I guess he lived in Navarra or it was during the um, Tevinter occupation days. One of one of the two. And so the mortalitasi they always wear gray robes. They also enjoy a lot of wealth and political power because they often serve as advisors to the Navaran nobility, especially the kings. And because they're the only ones, um, they're the only ones that can take care of the dead. Like that's their job in Navaran society. And so that's so important to their culture which means mages automatically have a more prominent place in society and culture in Navarra than almost anywhere else in Thedas, except of course, Taventer.
1: Right. And again, this is more, uh, Egyptian parallels because similar, like the priests of the dead in ancient Egypt would have held a lot of power too.
0: Oh, okay. Good to yeah. know. I didn't
1: mm-hmm. know that though. One of the kind of like parallels that where it fades is like there is some speculation. I am not an archaeologist or an expert on ancient Egypt, so take this for what (laughs) you will. But there is some debate on if mummification was practiced on a local level, like for everyday people, or if it was just something for like the royal family or the nobility of Egypt. Um, So that's up for debate.
0: Well, for Novara, like, this is everyone. Mm-hmm. And, of course, the difference the difference for, you know, wealthy folks and, and poor people come in with the size of the tomb, how much you're able to decorate, like, how you're able to remember your ancestors, like, all of that, of course. Um, but these practices are for everyone. Mm-hmm. Um, and especially in Teventer Nights, I think the person who this chapter is focused on. He's like a regular person. He's not nobility. He's like some like regular kind of working class. Mm -hmm. Like maybe he's a guard or something like that. I can't totally remember. Maybe a librarian, something like that. Not wealthy, not famous or noble or anything like that.
1: Well, it's interesting to me because it's, again, this sort of, It's not even really a reinterpretation, but just like a different framing of the Chant of Light, you know, because it talks about that the spirits are the maker's first children and they exist in the Fade, but they want to be in our world and other things like this. But like this Navaran view is that, okay, we die and our souls basically replace the spirits in the Fade, which could be you could take that to a logical conclusion that like in our deaths if practiced correctly like it's that idea that you know we are back with the maker in a way like we're coming back to the fade in this thing and like the maker's first fallen children are leaving it yeah i don't know we haven't we haven't really delved into like how I would be interested in like exploring the games to see how the chantry is different in each kind of area, uh, because it seems kind of like mono, like monocultural between Ferelden and Orle. Um, oh,
0: I disagree with that. I really disagree with that, and here's why. To be fair, we've only seen a couple chantries in Orle. Um, we haven't really seen a lot but in Ferelden in I'm thinking specifically more in in Origins but in Denerim in Redcliffe in those are the two main ones I think we we get a picture of a Chantry that's like more forgiving almost and I don't necessarily mean that with regard to mages but I think you just see a chantry that's more willing to help its people whereas in orlais especially in valroyo they're so so concerned with like doing the right thing doing the right. correct thing like you can meet a chantry sister in inquisition in valroyo on one of the upper levels and if you try to talk to her, she's basically like, I don't know if I'm supposed to talk to you. Like, you're the Inquisitor. Like, I don't think we can be associating with each other. Um, whereas, like, in Ferelden, if you go to Redcliffe, that's the Chantry in Redcliffe is, like, where you first learn about the Tevinter, uh, Venatori line. Like, I just feel like you're more, it's more of a welcoming um, kind of aura in Ferelden chantries than in right than in Orlesian
1: chantries. I guess whatever the, the reason. I guess the more the more I'm thinking about it is like the chantry in, that you meet in Ferelden like there it's not like a huge like culture shock of like this is different when you go to Dragon Age Two and you go to Kirkwall and like how the chantry is there. I mean obviously like the chantry is a little more extravagant in DA Two than you see them in. Uh, origins in Ferelden like the chantries are smaller and yeah but I see that now what you're saying about that so I just think it would be interesting like I want to go to Orzammar and see how the dwarven chantry in the past 10 years has like developed and you know existed in this dwarven culture uh, yeah. So yeah, that's something I would like to see in 2024 when Dragon Age comes out.
0: Okay. <laughs> well, let's move on to our other cultural things about Navarra. So, um, the next biggest thing about Navarran culture is at least in the royal family um, dragon hunting is super important and the Pentagasts are like famed dragon hunters and um, they have like a multitude of dragon hunter heroes in the family mm-hmm. um, and they actually almost they almost succeeded in um, driving dragons extinct in Thedas and even th- they were thought to be extinct in Thetis until the Dragon Age. Um, right. So that's a big part of their identity for sure.
1: Mm-hmm. And like if you haven't watched this it's on Hulu so if you have Hulu you can watch it but Dawn of the Seeker is a little kind of animated thing about kind of Cassandra's story and little review yes it is um the animation is not that great um but the story itself like it feels very dragon age like it feels like it belongs i would say that um and it gives you a lot of insight into cassandra but she kills a lot of dragons in that little movie um and you really see that kind of like Pentagost, like she knows exactly where to strike a dragon and, like, how to use a dragon's strengths or weaknesses to her advantage. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then my last uh, point about Navara and culture is that Navarra is really renowned for its art. The whole country is really just filled with um, works of art. From like the statues of heroes that line the streets um, to the Golden College of Magi in the city of Cumberland, and we haven't really talked about that. Um, but the like headquarters of the Circle of Mages is in Cumberland, which is one of the largest cities in Navarra.
1: Mm-hmm. Interesting. Interesting that they use College of Magi instead of Circle. Mm-hmm.
0: I agree. I agree.
1: Again, it's like, I mean, really, in this series, we've seen... Obviously, Tevinter is pretty open to magic, but they're, uh, you know, they're ruled by mages. So, that's expecting. But, you know, Ravain and Navara have these kind of, like, culture... Well, Tevinter is a cultural reason, but, like, have these, like, ancestral cultural reasons that... Magic is viewed differently given the indigenous magic in Ravane and now Mm -hmm. the death mages in Navarra.
0: Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Those are definitely the three uh, most friendly to magic Mm -hmm. places, I think, in all of Thetis that we know of so far.
1: Right. And it's like, it kind of frustrates me because when you learn about, because you have the opportunity to basically become a death mage in not really, but learn the magic of the death mages in Inquisition with the necromancy uh, specialization. Um, but you ask me like, this sounds like blood magic. Um, but to me, like that if I was a Navarran and someone said that you know the death mages were blood mages, I would take that extremely offensive because to me, to do blood magic to make a deal with a spirit bringing a spirit into this world not through the proper channels of the death mages magic would be terrible. So to even compare the death mages to blood mages would be, to me at least, would be extremely offensive.
0: Yeah, and I think there are stories of death mages who do that anyway um there's specifically a story at the end of Tibinter Nights where there's a death mage um charter the spy from Inquisition and like two more people um they kind of sit down with this shadowy figure who ends up being soulless and the death mage uses she like binds a spirit to um come into the world like a minor spirit not like you know a big spirit like of compassion or justice or anything like that like a wisp basically she binds a wisp to come into the world to continuously stir her tea so it's this like minute tiny thing and soulless of course takes huge offense to that um So I don't know if that's like something that death mages generally do. Like, I don't know if that's a common practice or if this particular death mage, like maybe serves the king. So she feels like she has more privileges and more um, leeway to do that kind of stuff. Or if that's something that's common to all of them. Um, I think we definitely just would need to see more about the death mages before we kind of got deeper into it.
1: Yeah, definitely, definitely.
0: Well, that's all I have about culture. Um, Do you want to talk about cities? Name a few of the cities.
1: Yeah, so we mentioned Cumberland. um, Yes. And then um, that's where the College of Magi are. Uh, Mm Mm-hmm. Hunterfell, which Toth, the old god, archdemon of the third blight, was defeated at Hunterfell in the Tower's Age. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Navarra City, which used to be part of the free marches, but it's the site of the Grand Necropolis, which is like the center of death magic. Um, and yeah, then, it's where
0: all of the crypts are.
1: Right. And then uh, Perrindale, which they got from Orlais in their wars.
0: Yeah, and those um, are the main settlements.
1: Yeah. And then some notable Navarra's. We haven't actually met a lot of them, but we obviously the one and only Cassandra we do not have time for all her names pentagost um <laughs> <laughs> and then another one this one's interesting meryl who is originally born into the alirian clan which wanders the hills of nevara now i need to look up and learn how she gets from there to marathari's clan
0: um she i know why she gets transferred basically to marathari's clan because um, she's a mage, and they I guess they had too many mages in their clan.
1: okay, so she comes to be the the first there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Guinness, who is the leader of the winters in da2, which is a mercenary group that you encounter when you're trying to um, find and rescue the viscount's son. Um, she's yes. what? Seamus is his name. Yes, um that group is originally from Navarro, which we'll get into. We'll talk about the different mercenary groups that exist in there between the Silent Sisters, um, the Winters. There's others. I don't think
0: the Silent Sisters is a mercenary group.
1: Are they assassins?
0: I don't they're a dwarven group, but I don't know if they're hmm. I don't know if they're mercenaries.
1: Uh Okay, I always thought they were one of the mercenary groups. Well I'm sorry.
0: It's okay.
1: Um Alright, well let's who's our character for this week, shall we?
0: Okay, so our side character is someone who is named Tessa Forsythia. She is technically a character in Dragon Age Inquisition, although she does not make an appearance. Um, I do think she's mentioned though by Josephine, but she really appears in multiple comics, including Mage Killer, Deception, Blue Wraith, Knight Errant, and Dark Fortress. She is a noble woman from Navarra and is estranged from her family, her biological family. So, Tessa spends her time traveling with a mage assassin, Marius. And when I say mage assassin, I don't mean that he is an assassin who is a mage. I mean he is an assassin who specializes in killing mages. So, they're, they're, they're a little pair, a little duo, the two of them. And so, they spend their time going around kind of like mercenaries or bounty hunters almost... But eventually, they get allied up with the Inquisition. Um, After the breach happens, they spend their time fighting off demons, spawning from Fade Rifts, and they help evacuate a bunch of locals. And in the Mage Killer comic, Tessa and Marius take a job where they're hunting down Venatori. They arrive in Taventer. They assassinate a few people along the way and they run into none other than Calpurnia herself. Throughout this comic, we then learn that Marius and Calpurnia have a romantic history. So um, after this, Tessa and Marius officially join the Inquisition, and we never quite meet them in the game, but they're really important characters, and they they get sent to, like, finish up a bunch of missions. Like, they get sent to the Hissing Wastes after um, the Inquisitor visits to, like, finish killing off the leftover Venatori. And then they return to Skyhold as the Inquisitor is leaving for the Arbor Wilds. So they're around. We just don't meet them. Um... So when the Inquisitor leaves for the final battle with Corypheus, uh, Tessa and Marius, and along with a few other people that we do get to meet in the game, like Charter and Sutherland's company, they all go to the area um, in Haven, and they clear the area of like surrounding demons and minions of Corypheus, and basically just like clear the path in case... The Inquisitor needs reinforcements. So like they are totally there in the last battle. Um, They're just not part of the inner circle. So um, another thing about her, about Tessa Forsythia, is that her estranged family also officially supports the Inquisition. And even though it might just be political, they do officially support the Inquisition. Um, And I think she's a really interesting character. Um, she's got a lot of connections that could come back in the future. I don't know. I haven't read all of these comics, so I don't know the full story. I know I've read all the books and I'm always like referencing them, but I have not read all the comics. So I don't know the full picture, but they spend so much time in Tventer that I feel like, um, they could definitely be one that comes back.
1: Right. Um, I think definitely someone who comes back. I think that depending on the setting of Dragon Age 4 and depending on what we're getting, I think that a likely scenario is that you either meet the Inquisition as like a faction, like you would the Circle of Magi or the Order of Templar or the Chantry, or you're working with them. And so I feel like these... While we might see the Inquisitor make an appearance, I think that's a highly likely possibility. I think Hawk is, if Hawk is alive, um, is also a highly likely possibility. Given that, if it's Intimenter, I would be very shocked if Fenris didn't make an appearance. Um, but I think like Sutherland Charter, like these people who are working as agents of the Inquisition could be quest givers they could be advisors they could be people who are working to that they could flesh out these characters even more than they want now which i think would be really cool of like carrying that over
0: yeah i totally agree well that's all i have about tessa for Scythia. so unless you have anything to add that's all i've got
1: No, I don't think so. Um, Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. Uh, We'll see you all next week as we continue our Countries of Thedas series. We're closing in on the end. We're over halfway done with the countries.
0: Mm Mhm. Only a few more weeks left.
1: Yeah. All right. Thank you all. Thanks for listening to the Dragon Age Lorecast. As always, you can find us on Twitter at DALorecast. If you have any lore questions, topics to unpack, or side character suggestions, email them to us at dalorecast at gmail.com. The Dragon Age Lorecast is a part of the Robots Radio Rocket Club. You can join the Robots Radio Network Discord by clicking the link in our episode description. If you enjoyed our show, we'd love it if you'd subscribe and give us a review. See you next time. So come and listen on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher or wherever you get your podcast and always remember
0: swooping